Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On today's show, it's a special from the Edinburgh TV Festival. Emily Maitlis has warned against the threat of populism and called for the media to restore trust and control in her McTaggart lecture. We speak to TV critic Scotty Bryan and media commentator Jake Cantor about the festival's highlights. Plus, in the media quiz, we play Guess Who with brand new shows coming to our telly screens. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. I've stumbled across two media podcast regulars. Uh, it's Scotty Bryan uh, and Jake Cantor uh, from The Times. Both of you have been put to work quite a lot here at the Edinburgh TV Festival. <laughs> Scott Del- more than me. I'm yeah. quite delirious now. <laughs> are you lie. done yet? Are you actually, are you free uh, no, of duties? I've got another, they've given me the last panel on the last day as well. Oh, that's nice. But I did three panels in a, in a row and I immediately am now on my second beer. Yeah, so, sweet. <laughs> a bit more loose lips maybe than what I would normally like. Oh, loose lips, Scott. It's my favourite kind <laughs> of Scott. <laughs> we have all grabbed a beer before they reveal the winners of the Edinburgh TV Festival Awards uh, in just a moment. Um, so it's always I saw both your panels, they did an excellent job, and quite a tough job of uh, some broad views uh, from some people who are quite keen to get their, their position across. Um, how did you find your session with uh, talking about public broadcasting, Jake, earlier? Um, what Should we be giving public broadcasters more of a break than we have been? Um, look, it was, it was, what we tried to do with the session was kind of set the tone for some of the rest of the festival. Mm. I think some of these issues have kind of dominated the last couple of days, and that's no surprise with the big existential questions hanging over their heads, uh, you know, the license fee potentially being scrapped and Channel 4 being privatised, and then some of the structural issues facing the industry like youth abandoning TV and um, diversity which we're hearing a lot about again this week Um, so we tried to capture a lot of those issues and we had six people on the panel which is you know quite a lot of people (laughs) so we tried to get through as many opinions as possible and they're sort of all broadly coalescing around similar opinions I mean I, 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 I think it's really interesting that some of these big questions have actually been not a terrible thing for the Mm. industry. They've helped sharpen up uh, the way that the broadcasters think about their remit and the way that they are commissioning programmes. That can only be a good thing. Well, there's been no doubt that the success of the streamers up to now has focused the minds of the BBC and ITV uh, to get the house in order. Uh, And now probably at a point where the streamers are going through their own slight wobbly phase. Yeah, that's right. Scott, you're really good on this. <laughs> I mean, what's been really interesting, I think, is 
having the different reactions by the different streamer. Mm. So like Amazon Prime Video or Amazon Studios mm. have been very, very much like, it's all normal, everything's fine. Like they lost half a million uh, over the last quarter, but they're very much like, no, we're staying with the same commitments. We're still making loads of originals. They are releasing a very expensive slate. Mm. And publicly, at least here, they're trying to be like, no, nope, outside the world doesn't really um, reflect where we are. And then you then speak to Netflix mm. earlier, and Netflix were quite open, I think, quite candid to start off with being like, yeah, this has been a bit of a shocker. Yeah, We've had to make some difficult choices. But at the same time, still be like, no, we're still going to be doing a massive content slate. We're still going to be releasing loads of shows in loads of genres. We're still committed to having the best talent. We're still committed to sort of doing high-end drama or very expensive shows if it suits us. And I think it really makes you wonder, kind of, A, what the long-term plan mm. is. Maybe, like, they, they are making changes, but they're not happy to make it public yet. It's quite hard to read because they can be quite opaque at the best of times mm. about their plans. And I think it's trying to sort of think, well, the cost of living is only going to get worse. Inflation is yep. only going to get worse. And people are also going to be thinking so much harder about the subscription services that they subscribe to. Because at the end of the day, they're not essential. Like, TV's not essential. What? Because, because like, you know, you've got the license fee. You've got um, some streaming services. But at the end of the day, if people feel that they can't afford to, mm. they will cut back on their TV use, but still watch loads of programs possibly on public service yep. broadcasting rather than paying 12.99 for Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV Plus. And, That's the challenge. And also AVOD services uh, popping up um, from Amazon in freebie, but also uh, ad free ad versions of Netflix uh, on the way too to try and scoot the people up. Just come from a session about, uh, about indies. Yeah. And actually one of the things they were talking about was cost of living changes mm. and shows that have been commissioned a year ago on certain budgets now they're finding that shipping gear internationally costs five times as much money as yeah. it used to and can they actually hit their budgets can they make it to the end of the end of the series yeah and that's yeah. Be a challenge for all broadcasters and streamers um, who are under pressure themselves with cash about having to maybe top up the funding of some shows yeah yeah and i think it's kind of looking forward it's it, we're in kind of quite weird waters aren't we i feel like it's going to be really interesting because everyone's trying to have a... They, everyone tries to act like, like they know where the next year's heading. Mm. And I think we all don't really know where yep. the next year's heading. Because at the moment, I mean, even to sort of wider by the fact that we haven't got a prime minister sort of decided yet. <laughs> what? Full stop, we haven't got a prime minister. We haven't got, yeah. But, but it means that essentially like everyone's kind of treading water in terms of working out where we're going, I feel. And it kind of resonates, I think, mm. in terms of you know, the consequences of the cost of living will have a massive implication. And I feel like it's going to be a challenging year. I mean, just, I was just going to say on the political side, there hasn't, there's no real politicians, I haven't seen any politicians here this year. They're all, they're all steer, steer, all politicians have disappeared. It's sort of seen as a foregone conclusion that Channel 4 is going to be privatised. Do you think that's, do you think that's the I case? Think the discussion that we've, the discussions that I've seen this week is there, there is an assumption that's a fait accompli. Yes. Um, it is really odd that there are no politicians here. Mm. I, I don't know whether that's because they've refused to engage or the festival has made a conscious effort to just make it about the industry. Yeah. Um, but the two are inseparable. You, you know, the fate of the industry is in the hands of politicians. 
and I think it would have been good to have seen Nadine Dorries here, mm. at least milling around and being <laughs> part of it, not yes. necessarily speaking if she didn't want to. Uh, or if it wasn't Nadine Dorries, then another member of the cabinet or um, a... Someone from yeah, DCMS. Yeah, someone from the DCMS. Um, because we, this is a huge talking shop for the industry. If anything, it's an intelligence gathering mission for them. Yeah. I'm, sure, uh, some, I'm sure someone from the DCMS is here. Yes. I'm sure they are. Um, intelligence but, but gathering mission. They're hiding <laughs> their lanyard. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, look, we're in a, we're in a vacuum, aren't we? We don't mm. know who the next prime minister is going to be. I mean, I think we can all have a pretty good guess. Mm. And I'm sure... Yeah, if you are senior members of the industry, they'll they'll tell you they're making preparations for a Liz Truss government. Yes. And from what we've seen so far, her position on the big issues like the BBC and Channel 4 does not seem to diverge too much from Boris Johnson. I think the challenge uh, for her, if she's going to be the next Prime Minister, is she's got a lot of trouble this winter. Uh, and so will some of the more knotty culture war issues, which that's probably what they see the Channel 4 privatisation as, does that get kicked into the long grass um, as she engages with cost of living and even, you know, COVID um, yes. committees? It's fascinating. It's, you know, while you're campaigning, it's really easy to talk about Channel 4 privatisation mm. and beat the BBC up because you're talking to your base. But when you enter office and you have the realities of governing and not just governing in you know, gentle waters. We are we are in the middle of a storm. Mm. And does privatisation of Channel 4 matter in the middle of that storm? I think a lot of people in the industry would say absolutely not. Is it a vote winner? I don't think there's any no. evidence of that. And I will mean, it suck normally up? I find that yeah. with, with so, so, sorry to interrupt. Normally yeah. I, I find with the general public, like trying to explain Channel 4 and privatisation, they don't really understand the issue behind it, really. I think, like, I mean, in the fact that, like, some people don't realise that Channel 4 is public yes. and it isn't privatised and, like, the, the, the unique positioning um, that it puts itself at. So sometimes I get a bit confused when I sort of see it as an easy Tory target to have a go at because I, I think maybe beyond the Tory hardcore base who would be aware of it, I'm thinking the general public don't understand or don't care about Channel 4. But also, if politicians stand up and start banging on about Channel 4, the public are going to go, why aren't you talking about the fact my uh, gas prices and my electricity is now yeah. four grand? Um, so I think that's going to affect a lot of those discussions. One of the other big things that happened uh, at the end of the first day was Emily Maitlis's McTaggart lecture. We are, at our most basic, the mediators between the actions of those in power and the public. So fifthly, finally, most excitingly, the challenge for us, I think, is how we live up to that responsibility in a way that is both fair and robust. What did you make of uh, Emily's speech, Scott? I think it was uh, very well thought through. Mm. I think that she had a lot of good... She like, brought the receipts, didn't she? Mm. A lot of examples, a lot of cases. I feel that she knew exactly what she was trying to do as well. I think she knew that... Like the fact that the next day the BBC were going to be having a, like a, a chat, I think was fresh in her mind. Um, and also, I feel that you know now that she is also, of course, you know, moving to global, she's got her own podcasts. She's now sort of feeling that that she could now has the responsibilities and she's taken the shackles off of the BBC that she's able to talk about these issues. Um, I guess the questions are: Will it make a difference? Not entirely sure. Um, but also. 
It, it is really interesting in terms of like, you know, these issues around impartiality have been going around for a long, long yes. time. And I think like what stood out to me was a lot of the issues that she was saying in regards to kind of you can end up having a situation in which you give a platform to populists and people who do not deserve to have a platform in the means of impartiality. To me, does, does not just uh, seem like a challenge in news. Tim Davies' plan is to have impartiality checks across all forms of broadcasting mm. to make sure all voices are being heard. And I feel like that may be, although Emily was talking specifically in journalism and in news gathering and in news, it makes me wonder, like, would there be situations in which somebody would therefore be complaining because a topic on a documentary is not talking about this thing that they feel adamant about, mm. when I think most documentaries, even if they are on an impartial forecaster, do have a slight editorial agenda. Like you can't always have every single person's point of view because at the end of the day, that's not what do documentaries are there for. And I think the, 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 the issues that can throw up to the BBC, like impartiality um, becoming like this never-ending situation when nobody's happy, sort of thinking to myself, like it's creating more potential problems than it's solving. At least for now, that's, that's my take on it. I mean, reading the, the reports on Emily's speech yesterday, um, I mean, she's now had it from all sides, uh, spiked through the spectator, kind of calling, saying that she wants the BBC to just be the home for Remainers. So I don't think exactly what she was saying. I don't think um, that's at all what she was uh, saying. But, is, but isn't, it, isn't, this, isn't that a description, actually, of what she brought up? Uh, which is from the populist side constantly reframing the issue to always put broadcasters on the back foot. They can't win. The response kind of underlines some of the points that she was making. I think Scott is really right. She was really careful in the way that she broached some of these issues. She actually raised a lot of it through questions mm. <laughs> rather than actual making, you know, actually making statements with her own views. And which, is quite, which is quite a journalistic way of doing things. Yeah. I think the key thing that really stood out to me is her questioning of due impartiality. Mm. And there is a distinction there because due impartiality means providing appropriate weight to differing views. Yes. So, if so it so doesn't mean balancing views evenly. It yeah. means you know, if someone's a flat earther, you might hear their views occasionally, but you wouldn't, uh, you would, <laughs> you wouldn't say that they have an equal platform mm. with someone who believes the world's round. I mean, David Jordan, who's the director of editorial policy at the BBC has used that as, as an mm. example. What, sh what Emily said yesterday is, are we getting due impartiality right on issues like Brexit? And, and from what she was saying, reading really, between the lines, it's clear that potentially she believes the BBC is getting that balance wrong and is offering, and, uh, is offering too much weight, giving too, mo too big a platform to views that don't necessarily warrant it. And uh, the example that she gave about they found it easy to find economists, economists who uh, spoke about the downsides of Brexit, mm. but they would t it would take them about five hours to find someone to espouse the benefits of Brexit. Yes. And but the way it's presented to audiences is it doesn't really matter because they have the same platform, they are sharing that airtime, and they they are equals. But really, behind the scenes that they haven't gone through an equal journalistic process to arrive at that outcome. But their problem is. Yeah, 52, 48% of the, of the country in the vote and all of the Conservative Party, you know, the, the government, the party in power uh, are saying, oh, Brexit is it's gone absolutely fine, a few bumps, it's all going to be okay. You aren't being patriotic. Um, and that's the challenge, isn't it? In that, uh, how does a broadcaster even 
when they believe they're being truthful uh, means that they won't be neutral. Yeah. Well, that's a really tricky issue for the BBC at yeah. the moment. And she didn't really, I mean, look, she, she said that, um, I think the phrase she used was that the, uh, the broadcasters are going into an automatic crouch, crouch position yeah. when, uh, when talking about the downsides, the, 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 the bad side of Brexit, and they're not properly reporting it. But it's more that they're, they're in a crouch position because of the grief that any discussion of it has. And therefore, it's sort of easier not to talk about it or to do it in a certain way because just all the crap that comes with it, and that and that's bad because it you know stops yeah. stops stops them from reporting. I mean, you guys, you're both journalists. Mm. Uh, when you're writing a story that you know people are going to be unhappy about, Scott, do you think about the the backlash and are you trying to do pre-bottle on the backlash? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, it's quite weird because I because I go in as TV criticism. Mm. I find that it's hard for me to, because I go in kind of just how I feel, it's quite weird in terms of trying to guess what the reaction to anything I would say is. I mean, there's been a few situations where I've met producers or a couple of people and they've been like, yeah, you really thought my show was shit. <laughs> and I'm like, great, but I'm not going to change my mind about it. So, I mean, like, it's, you have to be just quite, quite authentic in that sort of sense. I think it, it's weird in a way because there's... You know, I my role is not really being impartial. Mm. My role is providing analysis, which, which I tried to make impartial because that's mm. just me trying to get the facts together about where everyone's being, and that's how I sort of take the streaming media world, and that's how I see that. But when it comes to actually TV, like if I'm not giving an opinion, then why is anyone mm. caring? Like at the end of the day, like I'm just trying to to share my own view, and also like my my view is not wrong. Like, so my view is not the, the right. <laughs> so that wasn't even right. Like, you can tell I've had two beers and I've done three sessions. No, no, but like, but like, like my view is um, at the end, end of the day, like not the, the law. It's just a view. It's just a view. And what I love, what I absolutely love is when people can come over and say, you are wrong because of A, B, C, D and E. They're like, great. Jake, are you an impartial journalist? <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who would say the Times is not an impartial newspaper. Well, that's... But yeah. I would argue that I well look, I hope I, I approach my journalism mm. with impartiality mm. I think the whole point of journalism is that you try and speak to as many different people as possible and particularly when you're reporting on a story like Emily Maitlis yeah. you, you want to get different the, the two sides of the story and you want to reflect that in the piece that you write and do you follow a times line or do you follow a line that you think your audience are interested in or do you just write what you want to write um, I'm not pressured to write stories in a particular way. Okay. And therefore pursue them with an open mind. Mm. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. There we go. <laughs> the other thing that Emily hinted at with her new podcast, which is the News Agents, which yes. is, I think, out at the end of the week. Starts uh, next week. Tuesday, I think, um, uh, just after the back holiday Monday. And they sort of mentioned that they're keen to show some of their working uh, in that podcast. Do you think there's a room for trying to do daily news, which is quite a slog in a different way? I mean, I think it's interesting, of course, that it's uh, edited and created also with uh, Dino Sophos. Mm. Um, and of course, he is the genius behind Brexit Cast, but then Newscast. And of course, now with their news agents podcast, it's now being a direct rival. Of course, I mean, mm. this is the thing about direct rivals in podcasting. You would listen to one, then listen to the other. It's not like the same case as listening to the radio yes. in a certain thing. But I think that they've realized that if they try to go and just recreate a newscast for LBC, 
people will be going, well, why are you just doing this again for a different broadcaster? I, what I like really about John and Emily on uh, Soapal from Americast, actually, is how when they were explaining a lot about the US election, and they do it in a very sort of political, sort of wonky way. They were able to really break apart the the whys. Mm. And I think that's their sensibility, is not really saying what is happening, but maybe explaining why things are happening. Now, of course, that's what you do in your job, Jake. Like, that's what we all do, is try to explain not only what's happening, but also why things are happening. I guess it really makes you wonder, like, how are they going to... You know, what are they going to be able to reveal? Mm. It's all about getting the right guests on. It's all about getting the right analysts on, I, I would say. So true. I think there, there's clearly, if you look at TV and you look at journalism in general, there is clearly appetite among audiences for, uh, for explanation. Yeah, you look at true crime, you look at uh, dramatizations mm. of real life events. People want to see why something has happened. And if that's their, if that's their mission, to, re- to expose the why and to lift the curtain back on process a little bit, I'm, th- I'm sure the podcast will do well. And they're, they're a great double act as well. That's, you know, they're, they're, they're very listenable. Well, it's a session break here in Edinburgh, and we stopped a couple of delegates to ask about their thoughts on the festival. And the McTaggart, here's what they had to say. My name is Navdit Daral. I'm a former BBC World Affairs correspondent and founder of a production company called Mirror Media. How have you found today? Yeah, great. I mean, there's so much to kind of do. It's almost like, where do you get to select? Um, I thought the climate change one was fantastic because we need to start having a debate about that. And it's kind of kick-starting something. I thought Emily's ex- incredible McTaggart exposure was spot on and a voice that we need so desperately, especially, you know, in the climate that we're operating under currently with Brexit and, in, you know, really blowing hole, a hole in the hole in BBC impartiality um, debate. And then I hosted a, a, a session on the war in Ukraine, um, which was great because we had Stuart Ramsey and he's just an absolute legend. And he returned from Ukraine after being inflicted with this, you know, after coming under attack and being inflicted with these horrendous uh, bullets and, uh, and thankfully recovering from the attack to be able to be here today and tell us this incredible story and how you know how different this is from other conflicts so yeah I thought the whole thing's been amazing looking forward to the rest of it. That was Navdip Dariwell. I also caught up with Kimberly Godbolt co-founder of Talented People uh, talking about the big TV talent crunch uh, which was the session she was sharing. Actually, I would say the headline from our session was workplace culture has never been more important because employees, freelancers have choice now and they, can, they will go where, where they feel that they will be supported and where there are nice people to work for. In my experience, freelancers will take a job that perhaps doesn't pay quite as much if they truly believe in both the project and the company and they really want to work somewhere it isn't all about money it obviously helps and with the cost of living crisis you know it's, it's very topical but um, you know people really have to respect and rate their their workplace 
And finally, we bumped into a familiar face, Sam Tatlow, Creative Diversity Partner ITV. Sam, how are you finding the festival? Oh, it's so much fun. It's so good to be back at the festival and to see so many people that you've not seen for so long and just to, you know, have those catch-ups and then just to listen to the industry talking about all the great work that's happening, as well as kind of challenging ourselves to think about the things that we need to be doing better at. So, yeah, it's really great to be back in Edinburgh and to be back in this space again. It's been, it's been really fun. Have you had a um, well, of course, I'm going to say the ITV session because that's um, that's the highlight for us. It, yeah, um, it's great to talk about what's coming up over the next 12 months for us. Um, I thought the session with Mo Gilligan was really interesting yesterday. Um, thinking about like internationally what that looks like and and how um, ideas translate across you know the Atlantic um, and how talent actually can be used from a UK perspective and over in the US and what that means so I thought that was really interesting and I love Mo I think he's brilliant so yeah I really enjoyed that session and if you haven't heard Sam's deep dive on the TV disability passport scheme it's well worth a listen if you're one of our patrons uh, you can pick it up uh, at our patreon site patreon.com slash media pod now for a quick break we'll be back after this if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. And we're back with part two of this Edinburgh TV Festival special, and I've still got Scott and Jake here with me. What things have you heard <laughs> or that... Uh, maybe has been picked up on. What do you think's been secret stories? Well, not so much secret. I mean, uh, I would say it's just all been about the reboots chat, hasn't it? Yep. And no one was expecting reboots to be the topic of conversation. So this is gladiators. Gladiators, the war of words yep. between, of course, Channel Four, who 
of course, had Big Brother for many years yeah. versus ITV, who, of course, are now having it with Kevin Ligo. Kevin Ligo talking that the reason why they're bringing back Big Brother is because Love Island's doing well, and it's, of course, a huge entertainment show. And then... And it'll be good for ITVX. Yeah, good for ITVX. Just constant, I guess, outdoor mm. shots of birdsong <laughs> while Bring people sunbathe. Which Bring is basically my TV viewing habits of the noughties, <laughs> nothing else. So there's, so there's that. But then also, like... You know, then there's been a bit of a weird, not weird, but just a backlash mm. to, I think, the level of reboots. And of course, you know, with Ian Katz saying sort of negative things about Big Brother, but also negative things about uh, now the confirmed news of Gladiators mm. coming back. Um, I think he said something about, well, you were there, Jake, about like, um, it's about microwaving a, a yeah, cold meal. Yeah, he said meal. it's depressing that, you know, old meals are being microwaved, reheated. Bear in mind, the number one show on his network is Bake Off. I know, which, which was a channel. great, um, sort of like, you know, that was a thing that Charlotte Moore said during yeah. her session. Although is Bake Off technically a reboot? Mm, I mean, I look, mean, I'm uh, going to play Devil's Advocate a bit. I don't think it is. I think they just nicked the format. Yes, but, <laughs> but I think it's, um, I mean, this is the thing. I think a reason why reboots are coming on at the moment is purely because A, gets people in the door, it's so much harder to launch, particularly a Saturday night format. Mm. The BBC have tried and have mm. failed quite a few various um, uh, TV shows over the years. Um, it, it's Bring also... Bring on the wall! What? Sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bring on the wall! That I was, got well, it. I heard it's it. staggering <laughs> that you haven't been, from that alone, Matt, been asked to, to be the host. Um, but at I mean, the end of the day... That's a Dale Winton reference right there, isn't it? Is it Dale was, Winton? Oh, it was Dale it Winton. was, yeah, 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 yeah. But like, it gets people in, but also, like... Um, Know, these are these are shows that I think really well play well um, on uh, unscripted and on TV because they are the the ones that I think still have an appeal because people like watching them together and I think that Gladiators won't be a show that I think that they would be um, hoping just big on iPlayer mm. I think that they'll be hoping that many people will actually tune in live and that's an advantage that they have against the streamers I think unscripted mm. you've seen I feel loads of unscripted formats being thrown around reality style shows that fail to get a captive audience I think because there isn't the 9pm of all watching it together feeling on ITV2 which they're trying to replicate well Netflix has really has really sort of jumped into unscripted they really uh, have in the last 18 months but not a lot of that I've seen cross over. Maybe know how it's well just it works, not yeah. on my TikTok and it's on somebody else's. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so I think that that actually, you know, a, a reason why is like I think Kevin Ligo and Charlotte Moore with um with, with their shows respectively is going well. Actually, you know, these shows will give us a bit of a different advantage mm. compared to streamers. Well, one of the, the shows that was very briefly mentioned in in your session with BBC commissioners and Charlotte, Moore, they announce the loads uh, <laughs> was Survivor. Yes. Now Survivor is uh, oddly a UK format Yes. Um, uh, that's obviously did very well in America and uh, kind of around the world. Um, we sort of got I'm a celebrity rather than Survivor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the BBC basically said kind of Survivor's coming to the BBC, isn't it? Well, it's weird, yeah, because they were very sort of clear about Gladiators with Survivor. Um, they haven't been so forthcoming about yeah. it and I feel it was a bit of a dance to go and try to see. I think they were planning to announce it. Oh, really? I, I think mean, that I was the aim. That, this, that's really. what I was told. And okay. I don't know. I don't know whether someone said. I don't. You know, someone must have said the optics of announcing Gladiators and Survivor mm. in one session is probably not great for the BBC. No. So I wonder whether they backed off Survivor. Actually, Ooh, I love this conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that good. is that is a theory. It's speculation, but yeah. you know, I I heard that they were planning to announce it this but week. Survivor will be an expensive commission. Well, that, I that's know. the thing. Um, well, I mean, cause, because also, I guess, some, some Indies go, well, if you've got the IP, that's great for them. But what about us? Particularly if you're a newer sort of um, production company trying to make your, trying to get, get your foot in the door. 
But also, will it work? Because some of these shows, they are better in our heads because of the nostalgia that it creates rather than actually being good now. Well, in downturns, people do turn to nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know, if we're heading in that direction, which I think we are, um, we're not going to be able to afford to go out or heat our homes. Uh, so we'll, we'll turn on the telly, the warm glow from the plasma what to keep us warm. Uplifting watching, watching note, Matt. Watching Gladiators and Survivor and uh, other, other reboots. So even though we're out on tour, it doesn't mean that you get away from doing the media quiz. Yeah. quiz. Usually you prepare us for this. We are <laughs> What's the problem? We're, we're what? flying without any prep. <laughs> Suggests these panel shows are fixed. I, I, what, I don't is, know. what is the prize? Is it? The prize, the prize is your very own commission on ITVX because the show, the they're questions. Just, they're just throwing anything out at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> the question is about commissioning and whether you've been paying attention here at the CV Festival for things that have been commissioned. Okay. So uh, it's still wanting to buzz in, so you can buzz in with your name. So Scott will say. Scott. And Jake will say. Jake. Right, here we go. Question number one. Who is commissioning an original drama involving marriage? Murder and carnage. I don't know this. If this ends up being one of the sessions that I've done a thing on, <laughs> and then I literally then cannot remember, <laughs> this is for the Edinburgh Festival team. Please still hire me next year. Um, Scott. Scott. Amazon? Incorrect. Oh, God. Uh, I'll pass it over. Jake. Pick a streamer, broadcaster, any broadcaster streamer. What, what, so what were the. So we're what, looking for marriage, murder, and carnage. <laughs> well, uh, is it Disney Plus? <laughs> it is Disney Plus. That's right. Is, it, is this not the? Is this the Jilly Cooper? Well, Disney is branching to original drama with the wedding season. Oh, the wedding oh. season, but that's coming out soon, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. An eight-part I'm doing, series. I'm doing Disney Plus's panel tomorrow, yeah. so I'll, I'll sweat up before two fifteen. <laughs> Excellent. Great. Eight-part series following <laughs> well, the dark. This is part of your prep. <laughs> it really is. I'm In the worst possible way. I'm trying to sell it here. An eight-part series following the dark and dramatic events that befall a couple after their wedding day. Uh, right, question number two. Um, who has commissioned a programme, again, soon to be on air, okay. uh, that will elect one of 12 ordinary Jake. Britons? <laughs> uh, putting your hand up, Scott. Scott. I don't know why it doesn't <laughs> work. Fingers there. We're not at school anymore. Uh, Jake. <laughs> Feels like I am. Uh, that's Channel 4. It is. And they've uh, got Jackie Weaver. Uh, they have. This is uh, uh, one of 12 ordinary Britons to become the alternative Prime Minister. I mean, amazing timing for them. Uh, amazing timing, but like... I find that a bit weird because the whole show is trying to prove that it's really hard being PM and set them through their paces and all of this stuff. But like, we all see that you could be quite bad at your job and still be in power for quite a long time. Like, really? Anyway, sorry. Okay, question number three. Uh, who is commissioning a show about the legendary tabloid reporter, Masma Mahmood, who brought down royal celebrities and athletes by posing as the fake sheikh? Jake, I mean, it's got to be Channel 4, no? It's, it's oh, a good guess, no, yeah. no, no, Scott. it's got Amazon Video. Is it? Yes, Prime yes. Video. Prime Video, if I get the name right, it's even better. Uh, have uh, commissioned uh, a show about the fake shake. Yes, they have. Uh, so we will hear about that soon. Going more into documentaries. Um, I think that me, that's one, one all. Da, 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 da. Uh, so you have to do sure. a joint international co-production okay. uh, for, uh, <laughs> for ITVX. Birdsong, BBC, uh, BBC, Big Brother. <laughs> Um, Spin off. I'm going for a lie down now. <laughs> we have to go into the Big, big Brother house together. Yeah, that? literally. Yeah. Um, one year, the Edinburgh Festival one year did do uh, execs in the Big Brother house. They did. I remember it well. <laughs> of course they have. Yeah. 
Uh, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was a lot of fun watching that, actually. Um, because there is a lot of fun here. And it's, it's about seven, 800 people. It's a very big, it's a big event. There's a, yeah. a, a lot of delegates. Um, the, the sort of session that they did similar to that this year was about the repair shop. shop. With Judy Dench. Um, which, yeah, a lot of people are very happy when Judy Dench turned up. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's lovely because, like, for me, like, I love TV and... It's, this place is full of geeks and I'm a geek so it's just, it's just lovely it's just lovely I'm it's great to be back it really is it is nice to be here and in person thank you both for joining us thank you, uh, thank you very and we'll much. see you all soon thank you that's our show for today my thanks to all of our contributors and to the Edinburgh TV Festival team for having us back and if you've enjoyed this episode uh, show us you mean it by doing one of these things firstly do you give us a post on social media we love growing our audience base And it's a great excuse to do that LinkedIn post because you said to yourself that you would do more LinkedIn posting this year and it's really important. So why not give a link to the show? Just type in podfollow.com slash the media podcast and say how much you enjoyed it. Uh, Or if you don't want to do that, uh, why not send us some cash? It does pay for things like helping send our producers up to things like this, the Edinburgh TV Festival, where the hotel prices are a little expensive at the moment. Become a patron by going to patreon.com slash mediapod patreon.com slash mediapod uh, all the cash that comes in does go into the making of the program so we would really appreciate that my name is matt deegan we'll be back next friday with regular media podcast episodes the producer of this one was phoebe adler ryan with support from matt hill it was a rethink audio production i'll see you next week For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com So, Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Monday, we look back at the leaflet the government published to keep us all safe in the event of a nuclear attack. On Tuesday, we head to Jamaica for the anniversary of Bob Marley's state funeral. On Wednesday, the day Jerry Lee Lewis turned up at Heathrow with a child bride, who also turned out to be his cousin. On Thursday, what is it with history and chucking people out of windows? We talk defenestration. And on Friday, sequin jumpsuits at the ready, it's the very first Eurovision. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes each weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.